from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. I'm joined this week by Nigel LeBanc, founder and CEO of CyberWarrior Network. This sounds very cybersecurity related, Nigel. Yeah, it is. Um, cyber workforce and military. Yes. So uh, thank you for coming on this week. And uh, will you share a little bit of the audience about your background and kind of how you got through to where you're at today? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on, um, on the show. Uh, I'm a listener and um, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Um, so I've been in the Air Force a total of 17 years. I did 10 active and the last seven in the reserves. And before coming back to San Antonio, I, um, I was in the state of Maryland. And I worked as the veteran cyber program manager at the Department of Business and Economic Development. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Uh, essentially, my job was to help vets launch businesses and careers within cybersecurity. And that's what really sparked, um, you know, the initiative for CyberWarrior Network. Yeah. So do you know where I found out about CyberWarrior Network? Um, I was told by uh, South by Southwest. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you were up on a big stage here uh, up in Austin just recently. Yes. Yeah. So uh, for for those that have not heard of South by Southwest, just go to Google and type in SXSW. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a hard acronym to it say. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it's one of the uh, largest uh, conference and events, uh, interactive, which is digital and all of this computer stuff, uh, all the way through to music and film. And uh, I went up to attend this year, and one of the things that I found interesting is in this uh, South by Southwest Startup Accelerator Program uh, and Pitch Contest, they had a whole track on cybersecurity, which is not something I would expect to see at an event like South by, where I would expect to see augmented reality, I expect to see all the rest of this stuff, but this cybersecurity is kind of going mainstream now. Yeah, yeah, we were fortunate to be selected as one of the 50 finalists. I think it was over 400 companies worldwide uh, applied for the accelerator, and it was a great experience. Um, you know, lots of good feedback and interactions with customers, and this got us the opportunity to be on your radio show today. So yeah. uh, there it is. I know, I had to go all the way up to Austin to find somebody that's uh, working in our own backyard right here in San Antonio. Yeah. This is I just as part of, like, we've talked about this in the program before, but, like, with the, the mass of cybersecurity companies and cybersecurity talent we have here in San Antonio, folks asked when I first started up the program, they're like, how are you going to get guests and content? And I said, there's 130 cybersecurity companies that I know of in town right now, so... If I could get one person on from those companies, we could do shows for two or three years. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think that the, the critical mass that we have here is wonderful. Uh, it, it also, as you, you've found with Cyber Warrior Network, presents some challenges because the there's talent shortages for all of those companies, and there's really just a, a skills matching problem in many of the cases. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of my experiences that I had when I was when I took over at that job in Maryland was the first week I was inundated with calls and emails from veterans and transitioning folks saying, hey, I have cybersecurity experience. Please help me get hired. Right. And saying, well, what's what's the disconnect here? There's lots of jobs on the market. You know, you, you possibly have a clearance, uh, you know, or had one um, and you have great training. So it shouldn't be an issue. So I batched up all of those resumes and I started sending it out to our employment partners. And to my surprise, um, no one got hired. And so I said, what's the issue? You know, so start digging deeper. And you talked about it. It's really matching up 
the specific combination of skill sets that an employer may be looking for. And, um, and you know, later on in the show, we can talk about um, how the market is reacting to this and some of the problems we've identified. Yeah. And, and yeah, this workforce piece is one uh, that if you have not listened to Cyber Talk Radio before, um, you can pick it up on iTunes podcasts or Pocket Casts or YouTube. Uh, we've gone through from all the way starting down in middle school with Cyber Patriot up through high school and, and college program conversations on the workforce development because there's a million cybersecurity jobs out there right now and there's not a million people to fill them. And maybe there's more people to fill them than we know, but uh, this is what Nigel's trying to figure out how to address is that you have these candidates coming to the marketplace and the, the hiring process is not an efficient marketplace right now uh, by any means. So for... Our folks that are not uh, as familiar with the, the military um, and military side of cyber things uh, want to spend some time walking through and explaining it, the, what are some of the different things that the military does from a, a training perspective and how, how that does not come clear through clearly to the, the, the private sector side. And I've seen this in the, in the medical uh, area as well. I have a, a friend that uh, runs his own physical therapy clinic, and he was uh, in the uh, military for years as a nurse and, and physical therapist and none of the training he had the military translated into any uh, private sector um, certification so he had to go back and take a whole separate set of private sector uh, certifications so that he could do the same thing he was doing inside of the military out in the, the private sector and it sounds like I've been mean, walking through that I think that we'll have a lot of folks experienced with the medical side um, to give them an analogy on the cyber. It sounds like you've identified and seen the same kind of issue in the cyber world. Yeah. Um, traditionally within the military, the DOD or Department of Defense does not prepare us to be civilians. Uh, we come in as civilians we in, and, and then we transition into and, and transform into this military member. And, you know, we are trained and geared towards specific missions. Right. Um, military does a really, really good job at preparing you for um, the challenges and whatever mission that you're facing. And that may evolve in a military member's career. But, um, you know, for, for the most part, is very specialized and, and to some point hyper niche. Right. So there's that mindset. Uh, OK. So one of the issues is that military members um, don't have the foresight and the awareness like, you know, one day I will transition out of this thing. Right. Um, and then part of the organic training that's done is, you know, let me walk you through from basic training to when somebody starts hitting the keyboards, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, if it's Air Force or here at Lackland, of course, and they go through basic, basic training and then, um, they go to what's called tech school. Uh, the army calls it AIT. Um, but essentially some category or some, um, career field is picked out. And this will be done, you know, most times before you even hit basic training. Yeah. And then you go to your, your school. And within that, you know, there will be core competencies, tasks, and knowledge, skills, and abilities, just like you have out um, uh, in the civilian sector. Um, but it's, it's very rigorous, all right? You know, this is your timeline. This is when you will complete um, each phase or each block. And this is when you'll graduate. And here are the specifications um, you know, essentially the KPIs or whatever it is you want to call it um, in order to be successful um, at completing those courses, right? Um, once they leave what's called tech school, uh, then they'll go to a, um, either at some an advanced school or to a duty location. And within that, we have what's called OJT, which is on-the-job training, 
All right. And There's if you're an acronym for everything in the military. Oh my goodness. Yep. Um, so interestingly enough, 85% of all of cybersecurity jobs within the DOD are done by the enlisted folks. And traditionally, this is the sector having the hardest time, um, you know, getting into jobs. Um, you know, to become an officer, you have to have a, um, at least a bachelor's completed. And yeah. Not so for the enlisted folks. So that's uh, the educational re- requirements are some of the biggest hurdles, right? Along with certifications and, and all the other stuff. Yeah. Well, and you also have to, to run and do push-ups and everything uh, else to sit behind a keyboard in the Air Force. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's just the, the um, that's just part of the job, right? Yeah. You got to be fit to fight. Yes. Um, and then, so when you get on OJT, and we'll talk specifically about the enlisted structure, um, you know, there's something called a three level, which is what you are when you graduate from uh, tech school. And then you'll go for your five level and then seven level. So if you think of this as a, from an experience standpoint, you will go from a journeyman to uh, maybe a manager and then a supervisor. So, so does that map to like the, the E rankings like yes. in E3 and E5 and E7? Yes. Okay. So um, an E5, typically an E4, E5, E6 um, will probably be a five to seven level, skill level. Um, and then all of your senior NCOs, E7 and above, definitely are seven levels, uh, which means that they're very proficient at their uh, at jobs in whatever specialty that they're in. Um, and obviously there's manager uh, responsibilities and oversight and policy um, to some, some effect on, on the, um, uh, the company level or, or the, um, the actual squadron level, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and then within that, you're tracked, right? So you, you have to um, literally e- exhibit that you have the skills, the knowledge, skills, and abilities to execute through these career progressions. Um, and you know, part of the issue is how do you quantify all of that experience and then present it in a way that a civilian employee can understand. Yeah. And then you have the, the classification issue as well, because uh, depending if you're over in the 24th and you're working on offensive cyber, which they'll talk a little bit about now, but for years they denied that they, they were doing any offensive cyber. So you'd have yeah. on your resume, 24th air force, uh, whatever you, you might be corporal. Um, for seven years and then they're like well what did you do there and like i worked on computers and then you like can't say anything else after that yeah that that is a huge problem um and and there's there's tons of arguments about what you declassify um or keep classified right yeah um so you know traditionally you have this siloed um workforce you know that's that's away from society, rightfully so. Right? Yeah. And and then they're working on sensitive information or classified stuff. And now you're saying, well, what did you do? Well, I can't really give you the specifics yeah. about how I'm able to accomplish this, but take my word for it, so to speak, right? So how do we eloquently transfer um, that information on paper um, to really demonstrate, you know, why am I going to be a good fit for your organization and even be able to solve some of your problems? Yeah. You're listening to CyberTalk Radio on 1200 WAI. I'm joined this week by Nigel LeBlanc uh, from CyberWarrior Network. We're talking about transitioning from uh, military cyber out to uh, private sector cyber jobs and uh, some of the inefficiencies in the market. Uh, we've covered some of the background into uh, how uh, military cyber careers evolved from basic training, uh, doing push-ups and sit-ups, and then getting behind a keyboard in that AIT and tech training afterwards. 
Um, if you miss the start of the program, uh, you can get the replay of this. Uh, it'll be posted Tuesday online on YouTube, uh, iTunes Podcast, and Pocket Cast. You can also listen to all the past episodes of Cyber Talk Radio at that time. So, Nigel, when getting uh, in, and you, so you go talk to an enlistment officer, uh, do they still uh, take the ASVAB these days? Yes. 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 So how do you get into that, those cyber jobs? Does it score well on that? Or what is it that leads folks into being able to get into a cyber career first in the, the military to start off? Um, well, yeah, ASVAB scores has a lot to do with it. Um, that determines the career fields that you'll qualify for. Um, and then there is other ways that the, uh, the military is sourcing, um, you know, people who are within cyber. Um, as you know, uh, General Alexander himself went to a Black Hat event. So there's different methods that they're sourcing the talent. Yeah. And yeah, cyber Patriot program. So hopefully, yeah, yeah. you get the kids interested in that, um, younger in middle school and then high school, and then they're in ROTC. And then that transitions into an enlistment where they can start with uh, some experience and hit the ground running, maybe yeah. shorten some of that, uh, training required, uh, post, uh, boot camp. There's so many good events and programs, um, that, does a good job of facilitating the interest, you know, and, um, but where I think that we lack in the market is really having a specific cybersecurity career path. And that's what we're trying to do um, within CyberWare Network. Um, and more and more uh, universities and education edu- educators are um, starting to explore those options, you know, instead of the traditional route. You know, you have to do computer science or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. So on in the... Uh, enlisted folks that are serving in cyber missions, how many of them have a college degree or how many of those folks get sponsored while enlisted? Say if you're going to stay in for 10 or 12 or 20 years, how many of the folks go through a degree program while uh, enlisted there as as part of something sponsored by the military? Um, I can't give you specific numbers on that. Uh, In 2000, uh, we did a report and I think Rand reported that it was about 45% 45% of enlisted folks had degrees. Um, and that was a huge jump from, I think the last report they did was 2009. Yeah. Um, another part of the challenge is that military members, the exact same jobs that the civilian counterparts are doing, they're not required to have specific certifications. Yeah. Right. So, um, and therein lies that they're not prepared for the civilian sector. They may have the experience, but they may not have the actual educational requirements. So, you know, let them let them know that, hey, you know what, these are the requirements. This is how you get to it. And you can, you know, go down the street or you can jump online and prepare yourself for this. That's part of our platform and what we do. Yeah. So that, that in there where you're talking is like, would this be going from E to G? So I'm going to go out. I'm going to be enlisted. I'm going to retire officially from the military. I'm going to potentially come back and contract for the military. And there's different certification requirements for somebody to be a contractor to the military, maybe doing sitting right next to the person that's enlisted, but maybe they require a CISSP for the non-enlisted personnel where they don't require it for the enlisted personnel to do exactly the same role. Is that one of the things you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. So uh, in 2009, I, um, when I transitioned, actually that was the end of 2008, I transitioned from active to the reserves and um, I did some signals intelligence for computer science yeah. went back to Iraq and they did some counter IED stuff and the letter of the law for that contract was I had to have my um, I had to have my bachelor's degree yeah and so to do this job that I 
I knew how to do just to get on the contract. Uh, you know, I had to have had that checkbox. So you have some employers that's going to stick to that uh, yeah. because they don't want to lose their contract. Um, or they don't want to file waiver paperwork or whatever else. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, there's there's um, situations where, you know, contractors or employees will kind of bring in military members and just have them sit on the bench until they get up to speed because they don't want to miss that experience, right, that that individual will bring to the organization. So um, it just depends, um, you know, but from a you know preparedness perspective and you know what I tell military members is that you want to be able to hit the ground running yeah right and don't get yourself in in a situation where you know it's you versus another military member or another candidate with the experience and has all of those check boxes already filled out so and that's an, an interesting one uh, that it's the military putting their own requirements back on some of these. Like you said, it's the you're doing signals intelligence work. You're doing it enlisted. Did not need to have a bachelor's in order to do it as enlisted personnel. Um, and so, is there? Do you know if there's uh, effort underway to try to change some of those contractual requirements and behaviors um, that from the the DoD there back out to uh, where they're contracting with the, the private sector, or not a lot of change happening there? The, the DOD itself, as it stands, is hurting for talent. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, the DOD's mission, rightfully so, is to train and deploy warfighters. Yeah. Um, and they're not in the business of preparing you for the civilian world. That's not their mission, rightfully no. so. Right. Um, however, um, they, they recognize that something needs to be done because um, our men and women are struggling when they're getting out. So they've made efforts, kind of like, um, you know, the Soldier for Life program in the yeah. Army, right? And they are identifying, um, you know, specific uh, educational requirements and working with, with uh, educators and, and uh, other certification boards in order to make that happen. But as it stands, their mission is to train um, warfighters and to keep them as long as they can. Yeah, and and then I guess yeah, I mean they, they potentially that helps some of their retention. Um, that because if you know that you can't necessarily go out to the the private sector and contract uh, because you you don't have these four check boxes, if you're a contractor, you may you may stay enlisted longer. Uh, yeah, some trade offs there, complicated yeah. things. Yeah, on how to, how do we change this stuff? to change the system of incentives to take care of the people and still accomplish the mission. Yeah, even on the flip side, I mean, for me, transitioning into um, CSE, I was still, I mean, I worked for, for the military and my our customers was all the military branches, right? Yeah. So we were saving lives. I mean, so that gave me that sense of mission, right? Um, you know, you're not going to find a huge problem within, you know, these guys create relationships. You know, and if they're they're working side by side with civilian contractors who who are probably former military members, and if they're not, then you know they're in the fight together, yeah. right? So a lot of the guys um, within who are pro proactive uh, won't have an issue getting out. And, you're, and you might ask the question, well, why do you need cyber warrior network or a platform like that? Um, it's because, frankly, the majority of um, our military members are ill-equipped um, and not prepared to enter the civilian sector. And then there is no other um, platform that's really focusing on matching a specific combination of skill sets w along with the translation that we do, right? And the level of accuracy that we're doing that at. So, um, yes, it could be in a, in a, in a better world. Um, you know, we could have these uh, incentives and policy 
to make sure that our men and women are leave, uh, leaving the military more equipped. Um, but uh, I think there's a lot of work to be done there. Yeah. So uh, we're going to dive in deep uh, into what is Cyberware Network and how is Nigel actually making these matches and marketplaces much more efficient. Uh, the just the whole tech hiring process is uh, not good in the, the private sector either. And I think if we take this and address it uh, one chunk of the market at a time, and if you can solve this for one area there, hopefully there's some other folks doing it for the, the private sector or uh, in, in other spots to make this uh, talent marketplace much more efficient um, it, because this is effectively then what fuels the growth for society is getting the right people on the right mission in the right place and then they have the opportunity to go succeed and make things better uh, so as we're we're going through maybe there's a, a little bit of a real world story to uh, tie in and talk to folks about the importance of getting these uh, cybersecurity roles filled in whether it is pure private sector, whether it's non-military public sector, um, like the, so the city of Dallas. So if you're listening on 1200, we've uh, got a big powerful antenna here. It's uh, 11 o'clock at night. You could be in the Dallas area, and hopefully your air raid sirens are not going off today. But uh, Nigel, you want to talk a little bit about what happened a few weeks ago up there? Yeah, so there was a, a hack that um, where the, the, the sirens were going off, I think, for a total of about an hour and a half, right? And, I mean, these are critical infrastructure uh, warning signals, right? I yeah. mean, and thank God it was just those sirens. Imagine it, it was, um, you know, power stations or, or um, you know, transit or anything like that. Um, I think what that tells us is that we are vulnerable, um, and not just you know the city of Dallas, but even as a nation because of our hyper connectivity, right? Um, if you think about it from a preparedness perspective, um, our critical critical infrastructure, we are. You know, it, it ranks up there to one of the most vulnerable um, nations or, or countries in the world. Um, and then how do you get people to defend that? You yeah. Know? So our overall goal at Cyber Warrior Network um, is to be able to really the total workforce analytics intelligence platform that will match the right candidate to an existing or impending cyber threat. And, and that, that's what we're shooting for. Yeah, I mean, that uh, event up in Dallas, uh, for those that weren't up there and haven't gone to Google yet to read a little bit more about it, these were the air raid sirens going off citywide. And with all these air raid sirens going off, 911 got flooded with calls, so you, you couldn't get through to 911. So picture you're in your house, air raid sirens are going off citywide as far as you can hear in every direction. Uh, you try to dial 911 to see what's really happening. Uh, you're going online on the Internet. You're looking on Twitter. You're seeing all sorts of notes about air raids. You're not seeing any uh, bombs or explosions or anything else yet right now, but you don't know if this is like pending incoming. Should I hop in my car and start driving out of the city? Uh, I mean, I think that this type of uh, attack and disruption can have a, a major impact on the city. And as Nigel mentioned, I mean, luckily this wasn't the power grid. Uh, this wasn't the water system. This wasn't uh, a whole bunch of things all at once uh, that were hacked, and it's it's not really clear yet, uh, at least published out there that I've seen, uh, who was responsible for that attack up in Dallas and what their motivations were. Uh, but a a nation state or a terrorist organization uh, that is motivated to cause mass disruption. Uh, I mean that that type of thing can if in many cities across the U.S. all at once could cause a a real big problem for us. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you think about it, the sirens went off and then 
you have uh, no one being able to get in touch with 911 because their system is flooded. It's, it's a domino effect. And yeah. a lot of people don't think about the actual uh, implications of what one attack could lead to another. Yeah. And and one attack could mask other other things as well. It's the uh, make the big loud air raid siren while they then go do something else behind the scenes that we may never hear about or see. You, you don't know. Yeah, was that just effectively air raid siren cover for something else more malicious? Right. So you're listening to Cyber Talk Radio on 1200 WAI. We're going to break for news, traffic, and weather, and then come back with Nigel to talk about how he's translating the skills of the military into job descriptions that you have posted in the private sector to help fill those cyber roles inside of your company. And if you are not hiring cybersecurity and you don't have anybody in your staff right now, This is the time to start thinking about it. Welcome back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. Joined this week by Nigel LeBlanc, CEO of CyberWarrior Network. Before the break, we talked through... A little bit about uh, what is it like as a military cyber warrior? How do you get started? Where do you go? If you miss the first half of the program, uh, you can catch this online on iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or YouTube. So, Nigel, we had told uh, the listeners that have been on with us, uh, we're going to dive a little bit into Cyber Warrior Network here and uh, what you're doing. So this the high-level problem, uh, folks are coming out of the military with an amazing set of skills that do not translate into private sector job descriptions and private sector roles. So they're having a hard time figuring out which jobs to apply for, and, and employers are having a hard time figuring out if these candidates are qualified. Yeah, so interestingly enough, about uh, two months ago, I was traveling back to San Antonio, and there was a young airman um, on one of the flights, and, you know, we sat next to each other and they said, hey, what do you do? He said, well, I'm in the 24th and, you know, can't really talk. I said, I understand that. Uh, I said, I told him what I was doing at the Cyber Warrior Network that I'm Air Force as well. And I said, um, you know, he said, well, that doesn't really apply to me because, uh, you know, I don't what I do in the military. There's no jobs for me on the outside. No one else is doing that. So I said, you know what, um, just tell me your AFSC. And, you know, he told it to me. I said, I can list you about six jobs list to you about six jobs that year. So uh, within the military, we are so siloed and so hyper niche that it's really hard to identify, um, you know, what you do on the civilian level, right? Um, you know, and, and rightfully so, some of the systems are very um, geared to our military equipment and our military mission, but um, our civilian counterparts are using them as well in certain applications. What, we are, what we're doing is we're demilitarizing cybersecurity talent. So the industry can understand, um, you know, and quantifying the experience of that particular candidate, right? Uh, we had talked about the different levels um, from E1 through E9, right? Um, so how does that correlate into your organization in terms of experience um, and, yeah. uh, you know, even management, right? Um, you know, sometimes you'll see military members. And although we are given tons of responsibility, you know, you'll have a 21-year-old um, who's commanding a, a group of individuals, 10, and, you know, with billions of dollars of equipment under his command and, and his care. Um, or you'll have somebody, you know, will say that they're an E4 and then they say they're, they're a manager. Well, you know, that's, that's, that's not how it works in the military, right? Yeah. 
So how do we, you know, quantify that experience and then also translate all of their knowledge, skills and abilities that, that we have now? Interestingly enough, uh, everyone talks about, you know, the great breadth of uh, experience that military members have, but no one is quantifying the amount of money and time that needs to go into that. And then how do you compare that to a four year traditional path, um, you know, going through college? Right. Yeah. And how do we stand out for our peer, from our peers? So that's what we're doing. Yeah, so is, is, that's an interesting thing to think through and compare. So if you, say, went out of high school, you enlisted, and then you spent four years in the 24th, how does that compare to going to, whether it's UTSA here, which is a top cybersecurity program in the, the nation, uh, or another university, and you go get a four-year degree, which one of those folks are better prepared for a private sector job uh, with the job skills you may say that that military enlisted member is more prepared but i think if you talk to the recruiters and hiring managers on the private sector side right now that's not getting translated through very clearly no no there's there's many stigmas about the military um you know stuff from ptsd and you know um there's education and and learning that needs to be done on both sides right you know we need to um, encourage and help military members to literally get out of the uniform and speak, you know, the civilian language and, and little things like yes or no, sir, you know, being um, over respect, overly respectful, you know, that's a bit of a turnoff, um, you know, and, and uh, being able to conduct ourselves within, you know, the civilian sector, um, you know, things like networking and, uh, you know, reaching out and going to events. You know, once again, if you have somebody who was in cybersecurity, they're siloed. They're cut off from, you know, even the main parts of, uh, of their um, outline organizations. Right. Yeah. Um, so how do you, you know, change your mode from being very secretive and very, you know, um, to yourself to now going to network events and whatever it is. So we're educating military members. And then on the flip side, we're also educating employers on what to look for. You know, if someone says that we manage resources, you know, resources is very different in the military than it is, you know, resources, okay, you manage 10 people, right? Yeah. Resources is money, you know, equipment and anything else in the military. So these very subtle changes, um, you know, we have to educate them um, about doing that. So if if I'm uh, in the military now, uh, say I'm, I'm coming up to the end of my, my commitment, I'm thinking about going out to the, the private sector, uh, what would I do to get involved in CyberWare Network? How do how do I plug in there to see what my my opportunities and options are? So what we're what we've done is in in full disclosure we are um, we're still very much in beta um, and we are finishing building up the algorithm, but we do have a um, a candidate pool that we're working with and also employers. Um, but we our goal is to make this extreme extremely seamless for the for both parties. So a military member would, would go onto the site, and if they have already transitioned out, we would get their DD uh, Form 214. Hopefully they have one of those, because if not, it's harder to get hired. Oh, yes, they should have one of those. Yes. And and if you don't have one of those, um, you're probably not going to get a cybersecurity job. Probably not. Um, but So get the DD 214, and, um, and the last um, set of uh, performance feedbacks. Yes. And we can literally take the information out of that to start building their portfolio um, automatically, their profile automatically. If they're still in, then we just use their, um, they you know obviously put in the AFSC or the MOS, yeah. um, you know, put in all of the information and then we just get their feedbacks. 
uh, performance reviews. And these are not, um, uh, typically they don't have classified data on there, um, apart from, you know, your standard HIPAA stuff, um, and that those can be redacted. And then we can use that to start building their portfolio and also career path. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. I just, as we're talking, I'm thinking through, it's like, Inside the, the military, you have your personnel file, which is not really a resume, but like that's what you use to get new job opportunities. You use to get promotions. All of those things are tracked there. But it does not map to a, a private sector resume or CV, depending on where you are in the world, uh, very cleanly at all. No, it does not. Um, TAPS is, is trying their best in order to prepare us, um, you know, military members for transition. Um, but it's just... It's just something that happens way too late in our career. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the goal of Cyber Warrior Network is to build this career path that will, you know, help military members not na- not only navigate outside, but, you know, get the specific tr- path or training that they would like in the military, quantify that, and then prepare them when they get out. You know, we have, um, you know, one of my, um, my blog posts, you know, I, I talked about, you know, the resume being dead, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we've created this uh, cyber dossier for our candidates and it we we do all of the translation and we show the, the exact knowledge, skills and abilities that that particular employer may be looking for. But we also educate them on the 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 other job roles um, that this military member could could fill. And that blog is uh, post about that is on the Cyberware Network blog. Yes. Yeah. So is uh, that at www.cyberwarenetwork and if I'm hunting around the website I'll be able to find the blog there the blog uh, right at the top link yes okay perfect so yeah if you want to go read more about that you can uh, visit the Cyberware Network website and uh, learn more there about the idea of uh, the dossier and, and tying that stuff into the, the job skills piece so for the uh, the folks that uh, are going through uh, they're enlisted there they're making that progress in their training how often do the cyber folks stay in for the full 20 years? I personally haven't, I haven't looked at the data to support it, but I know that the military is hurting to keep people now. Yeah. So um, that says that a lot of people are choosing to get out, um, you know, and and there's different motivations. You know, it's, it may be monetary, maybe just a lifestyle change, maybe want to be closer to family and, you know, have more of a presence there. Um, so, but you, you still have... Uh, a lot of legacy guys who's been on on there and just love the mission. Yeah. So um, nope. anecdotally, to me, it does not. It feels like a lot of folks stay in the eight to twelve year range, kind of where you you did, and then transition to a reservist role uh, after that. A lot of folks that I know stay in the reserves, uh, uh, but they've they've not stayed active duty beyond that. That, but maybe this is because I'm out in the private sector. The folks that do stay active duty, I don't interact with them because they're off on the mission still. Yeah. It's it's tough to 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 keep military members um, with such high, highly sought after skill sets, right? Yeah. Um, and part of the challenge uh, is that you know a lot of military members make the jump without looking at the total picture. Yeah. And we're hoping to provide that as well. Um, you know things that that we do in the military in our culture, like take for example, if um, I had to take my daughter to a a, a doctor's appointment. You know, it would just be like, hey, that's time off. You're clocked out. Um, in the civilian sector, it's very different. Yeah. You know, um, how you take things like vacation and leave, you know, and, and how you, you interact. So, and even the cost of living, 
if you're living on base and you have what's called BAH and BAS, or even if you live in off base and you get you get those um, entitlements, um, you know, yes, you may be leaving a fifty thousand dollar job as an enlisted person and you're moving to somewhere like San Francisco or uh, Baltimore or DC, and you know, you may see that pay increase. Oh, I'm getting ninety thousand dollars, but yeah. um, you know, all of those benefits go away to include health care. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of these factors are not taken into consideration when guys are leaving the military. No, I mean, I see that uh, quite a bit. I mean, as we just look across the the technology industry as a whole, uh, folks are going to California. They're going to maybe Boston or D.C., uh, that whole Virginia area up there, and then Fairfax. And they're making $100,000 a year. But if you're living here in San Antonio, you're in the 24th and you're making 50 grand a year plus all of the military base and benefits, your quality of life's actually higher oh, at yeah. 50. But it just like you want to be able to tell your friends you make six figures yeah. and and it's it's a different story. Um, and yeah, folks don't necessarily see the yeah, that, as you said, that full picture of maybe what they do have um, here. And you can show them a cost of living calculator, but they're like, man, that money's going to come in my bank account. I'm going to choose to spend yep. $3,000 a month on rent for a one bedroom. Yeah. 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 Uh, I've seen it all too often. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it just leads to a whole bunch of other, other issues. Um, you know, one thing I will say, it's, it's a mindset thing, right? Um, you know, I started talking to um, my boss at uh, when I was transitioning out a year prior. And yeah. I would call him up once a month. And oftentimes we wouldn't even talk about anything about the job. He would ask about the weather. I was stationed out in um, Tacoma at the time. So he always joked about it being raining yes. out there. But, um, you know, I say this to say that we have to be proactive um, in preparing to transition out because it's going to happen one day. It doesn't matter if you're staying for two years or 20 years, you're getting out of the military at some point. So, um, you know, just think about that. So, and as you're, you're going through in the cyber side you know, while you're enlisted, uh, well, how, how much, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Just to, so while I was enlisted, I did logistics. Yeah. I just want to say that. Um, but when all of my uh, ex- experience in the civilian sector has been kind of technical and, and the last three years cyber. Yeah. Uh, so as, as you're going through it as a, 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 for those folks that are enlisted in the cyber how often are they deployed and moved? Because I know this is one of the, the big motivations for folks um, that, like, even if it's going to be equal pay, is the fact that you can have a stability for a city to raise kids. Um, to And there's the, the benefits and drawbacks of growing up as a military kid, of moving every couple of years. Uh, you get to see the world. You get to see a lot of interesting things. But some some folks make family decisions to, to get out. Uh, do you have that same mobility in the in the cyber roles or you pretty much stay put? Um, yes and no. Um, you know, from, it depends on, on what the assignment is and what the mission is at the time. I will say this though, in 2009, when I was in Iraq, um, you know, I, you know, I found out that, um, you know, there were folks from the NSA and, and, um, would then be, you know, us cyber command much later. Um, were out there in the field. And I was yeah. saying, well, why are these guys who deal with, you know, just on the computers are, are out there? Um, and, you know, prior to, to General Alexander taking over, you know, there was a real issue in terms of bringing, um, you know, cyber intelligence and, and, and allowing the adversary to know that we have the cyber intelligence, right? Yeah. 
So, um, you know, that, that decision was made to put our analysts and our guys um, in deployed locations. And there was a direct and immediate effect on what the cyber capability brought to the fight. Um, so, to, you know, and that's a, a long way of answering your question. Cyber guys can be sent anywhere. Yeah, so um, they do they deployment the same as every other role inside the military. Um, in the last, um, in our conflicts within, um, obviously, uh, you know, there's a lot I don't know yeah. um, uh, that I, I would never know, but I can I can say that it's been documented that our conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan, we've had guys within cyber underground. Yeah, no, and then I mean I know I've worked with a, a number of folks in, through my career that have gone from the military to uh, the private sector, and uh, like we've got bases over there in Italy, where I know some folks have spent a lot of time. Uh, Ramstein in in uh, Germany, where folks have spent a lot of time, and they were in um, technical computing roles there. They were not in. Um, aircraft service or other Navy or other things. They were in technical computing roles over there in Europe. Yeah, there are lots of, of locations. Um, actually, Hawaii is a, a really big uh, cyber hub. And, yeah. uh, but there are lots of locations all around the world that we are executing with cyber folks. Yeah, so uh, it's one of the, the interesting ones of, yeah, uh, on the retaining that talent inside the military and then as, as you go transition out, um, yeah, that military pay may look a lot better after you get out and realize what all the real costs and things that were getting paid for you before. Not just the pay, but the culture. Yeah. You know, um, and it's funny. My first duty location, I was at Beale Air Force Base, and it's Northern California, but it's so remote that we say this is really Southern Oregon, right? Yeah. Um, and literally, you drive up to the base, there's cows and rice paddies and everything. Um, but one thing that I was amazed at was the fact that, and this was just fresh out of tech school, so this was my first duty location, right? That everything that we needed was right there on that base, right? Yeah. Um, in, in, you know, one of the biggest um, realities is when, when, you ha- when you leave and, and, you're, and you're done, they take that card away from you. You no longer have access to all of the things that you had. You know, and not just, you know, the, the, the buildings or whatever it is, but we're talking about things like healthcare. you know, it was free for me. I don't have to worry about, you know, you know, calling up a, a, an insurance agency, whatever it is. Yeah. I got sick. I just went to sick call. And if I had to be hospitalized, then that's what happened. Um, you know, and then family care and, and, and the type of camaraderie and then the family. So it's a huge change transitioning out of the military. And we don't take all of that into consideration um, before we transition up. Yeah, and it's just it's friends and family immediately when you move to a location. Oh yeah, uh, you because you, everyone's used to people being PCS in and out, and then you you meet new friends. It's a new guy on base this week, the new family on base this week, and and everyone gets to talk to each other. Where in the yeah, private sector, you'll move to a city, you might know a couple of people at the company you work with, you just agreed to a job for, but you know nobody else. Yeah, yeah, and if you're former military and you're in San Antonio, Texas, there's lots of folks you can plug in and connect to here in the private sector if you're in the D.C. area. But you get out to some of these other cities and uh, you may be the only former military person in your whole building or your block or the neighborhood you move into. Uh, yeah, it can be a different experience. Yeah, I mean, even in large corporations, you know, you could you could be totally siloed from your other military folks just because of, you know, your specialty or whatever your job is, right? Um, you know, military members, for the most part, you know, we live the motto, one team, one fight. Uh, that was the um, interesting. Well, that was the uh, uh, the title of my first blog post. Um, but 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, even in San Antonio, let's say you go work for a small firm and you might be the only military person. The culture is totally different, right? And um, and military members, uh, you know, that's why I encourage them to kind of go out and, you know, just really talk to civilian folks and get out, out in the communities that you're interested in, in um, being whenever you, you transition out. Yeah. So if I'm an employer and I want to plug into CyberWare Network, so you're in beta now, how do I get myself into that beta program? Um, well, the easiest way is to send us an, an email. You can email me directly at Nigel at CyberWareNetwork.com, and we'd be happy to, sh- to, to share what the platform looks like. We're rolling out um, our first, well, I say we're rolling this out, but um, our goal is to roll this out within the next um, eight to ten weeks. And we have um, a short list of employees that we're currently working with. And as we continue to um, build the database and the algorithm. Um, But just uh, shoot us a note and and hop on the website and see what we got going on. Yeah. So, and as you you talk through uh, the rollout in this, so you've made the transition yourself and you've gone to not only just uh, working for someone else, but you decided to start your your own company. So what's that been like from a, a transition perspective? Oh, that, um, challenging. Um, <laughs> uh, in 2009, when I was working for CSC, I've always wanted to do, do my own thing. I yeah. always wanted to become an entrepreneur. So while I was in Iraq working for CSC, I, you know, that was my first uh, stab at it. And I built this website and under the premise of build it and they'll come very, very expensive lesson. Right. And I've have I've had a, a few other expensive lessons, but um, you know, one thing I can say back then, when I say back then, uh, that's we're talking two thousand nine, two thousand ten era, right? I was scouring the internet to find any type of veteran program um, that I could get into, entrepreneurial program. You know, I heard about companies like TechStars, Y Combinator, and all of these other accelerators, and um, but there was nothing geared to to military folks, right? So um, at that time, I had a startup and I got accepted into a, a, an accelerator that was backed by the VA. Um, and it was a pilot program. I moved from Houston to Milwaukee for three months and it was a great experience. So to kind of speed this up, um, I've been all, I've always, from then, I've always been involved in uh, military entrepreneurship. I'm a member, I'm an alum for uh, Techstars Patriot Bootcamp. Um, also in Bunker Labs, Austin, and then, you know, I'm going to start doing some work with um, Bunker Labs San Antonio that just uh, recently launched. But, you know, I tell military members that there is a network and a, and, um, a community out there that understands what you're going through. And, um, you know, focus on building the right team and creating a winning business model. As military members, we're not suited to be entrepreneurs. We have the, the great characteristics and the traits, hardworking and, you know, know how to yeah. do more with less and all of those. But the military does not teach us how to uh, build um, businesses. And and although there's great innovation that happens um, as a result of, of what we do in the military, it's still a huge, slow moving organization. So, you know, um, organizations like um, Techstars Patriot Bootcamp really demystifies entrepreneurship. And then puts you with mentors and people who can help you. Yeah, you, you see these successful tech startups out there, and every single one of them fell down at some point, got up again, and kept marching. And I mean, that's the I think the one thing the military trains you is that, like missions, you're going to have a mission plan, but there's always you're going to end up off plan. 
Like the the mission's never going to go exactly as planned. Uh, And startup life is never going to go exactly as planned. And being able to deal with that uncertainty and ambiguity and work through the the hard, high-pressure situations, uh, the training that that folks have inside the military is uh, invaluable in in making a successful startup because nothing is ever uh, all rainbows and butterflies. No, it's not. So uh, I heard now, so you, you started a company, you started a family here recently as well? Yeah, I just had a, a beautiful baby girl, um, and uh, I, I have three little boys uh, prior to that, and then my girlfriend also has a boy and a girl. So we have a total of six, oh. a pretty big clan here, but this yeah. is... Yeah, this is the last for me. I can say that on the air. last. Yeah, so, yeah, I've uh, yeah, we've we've got five um, in in a, a blended family with mine as well, and uh, man, it's a handful uh, for sure. Yes. It's, it's fun though, and uh, so then you've also uh, become a you know, radio podcast host, uh, uh, audio podcast host yourself here. Yeah, um, we haven't officially launched, um, but some of the um, I'm, I'm hoping that you will come on. Um, at some point, I'd love I'd love to talk instead of ask questions. It'd be <laughs> it'll be good. We'll we'll, we'll switch roles here, um, but you know we we um, uh, we're we're gonna launch here within the next month. Um, and uh, actually, our first interview is with General Alexander. It's gonna be a, a, actually he's he has a great sense of humor. Um, yeah. A lot of people don't know that. And I was I was quite surprised. So I really uh, enjoyed um, our interview with him. Um, and then other stakeholders within the industry. And we're just going to be talking about, you know, topics just like this, you know, entrepreneurship, um, cybersecurity issues, workforce issues, um, you know, specifically dealing with military members. Yeah. Charlie, if you're out there listening, Nigel's first guest is better than my first guest was. I'm sorry, Charlie. <laughs> so, well, uh, Nigel, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, if you guys uh, just happen to tune in on the radio now and want to hear more of this episode or any of our past episodes of uh, CyberTalk Radio, you can go to www.cybertalkradio.com and learn more. <laughs>